We're going to continue this morning in 1 Corinthians, where we have been now for the last few weeks. We'll start in verse number 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for what we've experienced already this morning. Thank you for the good music. Thank you for the good fellowship, the good time of worship and just fun. And I pray now, Father, as we turn our attention to the word, as you calm our minds, calm our spirits, Fill me with your spirit, Father. Help me to, uh, uh, to teach this well. And I just pray that you would speak to us today about that which you have laid on my heart. Uh, Lord, there may be some here for whom this is particularly relevant, and I pray if that's the case, you will especially speak to them. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been for a while now, well, I guess three weeks now, in a study in 1 Corinthians. And those of you who know us here know that we'll probably be in it for a long, long time. Uh, we've been going... And this is the third message, I believe, just out of chapter 1. Lord willing, we'll be done with that today. But in, in 1 Corinthians, as you will recall, the Apostle Paul is dealing with some problems and some difficulties in this church. It's a good church, but there were some problems and some difficulties. And one of the problems and difficulties that he deals with is all throughout the first four chapters of the book. And that's the problem of division or sectarianism, or to use a word that we used a couple times and that means plenty to all of us is the word clicks. Uh, he was dealing against, fighting against, talking against those things. The last time we looked into this, which was a couple of weeks ago, 
we learned that that kind of division simply ought not to be in the church. But unfortunately, sometimes it is. Unity might be the desired state, but since we are in the flesh and carnal Christians, uh, we don't always act out the desired state on this earth. And so sometimes those divisions do occur. We concentrated on verse number 10 last time, just by way of review. If you'll, if you'll look there, he says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And as we reread that verse this morning, are we not reminded of Paul's passionate plea that they would not have division, that they would be United. Notice what he pleads for. He pleads for no divisions. He pleads for them to be perfectly joined together. He pleads for them to be of one mind, and he pleads for them to be of the same judgment. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon this morning. That's just a little bit of review. But I do want to revisit one verse that we read last time, and I think we touched on it last time, and that's verse number 12. That's the verse I want us to think about today. He said, now I say this, that each each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. When we looked at it in that last message, we, we were looking at it as Paul saying to them, this is, this is an example of the kind of division I'm talking about. This is an example of what ought not to be. But I, as I have read that verse and thought through this uh, over the past few weeks, there's another thought that jumps out at me from that verse, uh, which I want us to concentrate on again today. So forgive me if we're spending an extra week in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but I think it's, it's important. The topic that jumps out at me from that is the topic of following the leader. Following the leader. And I would like to suggest to you four different thoughts that come to my mind anyway, and you know my mind is somewhat warped sometimes, but comes to my mind... When I look at that particular verse, four thoughts. One of them is, following a leader can be a bad thing. Following a leader can be a bad thing. And certainly isn't that what we talked about last week, when we talk, or two weeks ago, when we, when we looked at that particular verse? Isn't that Paul's primary uh, reason for using that, saying what he said there? He basically said, if you Corinthians are dividing up into little groups where one group has Paul as its leader and one group has Apollos as its great leader and another Cephas, well, don't do that. That's bad. Isn't that basically what he's saying in that particular verse? And so his obvious meaning, I think, would be following a leader can be a bad thing. And there is a sense, some senses, in which that is true. Let me suggest an example where following a leader would be bad for us today. I have a friend who uh, attended the church and really, really, really liked the pastor of that church. And the pastor of that church left. So my friend followed the pastor of that church to another church and stayed there for a while. And then the pastor of the church left there. And so my friend followed the pastor of the church to the next church, stayed there for a while. And then the pastor of the church resigned, I mean retired. And so then they were left hanging. They had no place to go. I think that would be an example, do you not, of a time when following a leader would be perhaps a bad thing. Perhaps that's the type of following that is at least partially discussed here when, when Paul is saying that following a leader can be a bad thing. You see, God raises up leaders and sets them aside as he wills, but we're to serve in his church regardless of who's standing in the pulpit. We need to be loyal, serving members of the church, I think. I think. And so that might be an example. Here's another example. 
of when following a leader might be a bad thing. When I was fresh out of Bible college, I was this dewy-eyed, optimistic new preacher just coming out of Bible college. And I, uh, I went and I served as an assistant pastor with a man in New Jersey. And he took me around to meet all of his, not all, but some of his pastor friends in the area. And most of them were very kind to me. Most of them were very friendly, very very encouraging, and they would help me with advice and all this kind of stuff, and they were happy to meet me. And then he took me to this one particular friend of his, who I will just say his name was Brother Jim. That's all I'll say. Got to Brother Jim's office, and Brother Jim was sitting behind his desk, and he was just scowling at me across that desk like he wanted to bite my head off. And my pastor friend introduced me, said, this is my new assistant pastor. And just wanted, and he, I mean, the waves were coming across that desk. And after he'd introduced me, he sat there just silently, just staring at me for a minute. And finally he said, come here, lean across the desk. And he stood up and he leaned across the desk. And I leaned across the desk. And our noses were almost touching. And he looked at me and he said, with just as much menace and venom as you can imagine, he said, if you ever pull an Absalom on him, I will personally track you down and beat you half to death. Wow. I've never forgot that. If I saw him today, I'd still remember that. But you know what? You know what he was talking about, don't you? You know the story of Absalom in the Old Testament. Absalom was the son of of King David who led a rebellion against David. Absalom was the son of King David who stood in the gates of the city and stole away the hearts of God's people, and a bunch of them followed after him, and he led this huge rebellion. And so what he was saying to me is, don't you ever do that to him. You know, the people of Israel who followed Absalom were simply following a leader. And obviously in that case, would you not say, that would be an example of where following a leader would be a bad thing. Because leadership is established by God. And I believe our adversary, the devil, loves to stir things up and loves to encourage that leadership be challenged. Many of us who have been in churches very long know that Absaloms don't just exist in the Old Testament. They're around. But they certainly ought not to be. Now, I don't say these things this morning, and I I have to throw this out very quickly because there's any such thing happening here. I don't say that at all. I'm aware of no such thing. And even if there were such a thing, I wouldn't worry about it because God took care of the first Absalom and it wasn't pretty. So I'm not too worried about that. But I don't say it for that reason. I just say it because I think the text says it. And therefore, I wanted to mention it this morning. So following a leader can be a bad thing. But the second thought that comes to my mind as I think about this, (laughs) where he says, now I say this, uh, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Second thing that comes to me is following a leader can be a good thing. Following a leader can be a good thing. Now, Paul spends a tremendous amount of time. We just mentioned four chapters. Four chapters talking about, really, I think, that first point. Be careful. Following a leader can be bad. But then we come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you want to, you can flip over there and you'll see this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. And here's what he says. He's, he's, he's spent all this time now, four chapters, building up on this, this other topic. Following a leader can be bad. And then we get to chapter 4, verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you. But as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now, wait a minute. Didn't he just get done saying, I am of Paul is the wrong way to be? Didn't he just get done saying, 
that following a leader can be a bad thing. And now he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 to 60, that I want you to follow me. I mean, that's what imitate me means, doesn't it? It's the same thing. I want you to follow me. He's going to say it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. He's going to say it to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He's going to say it to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. The writer of the Hebrews is going to say it perhaps stronger than anybody else. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. So obviously the scripture teaches, does it not, that though following a leader can be a bad thing, following a leader can also be a good thing. Something we're encouraged and even commanded to do. After all, we could flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. If we're just speaking from the perspective of the church... Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that God gave leaders to the church as a gift. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so, following a leader can be a good thing. The new Christian who does not yet know the scriptures ought to follow the leader. The tossed Christian, which I think is a very common thing in America today, someone who has been in every denominational uh, tradition that there is and just frankly doesn't know what they believe, ought to follow the leader. And I can think of a question that comes to mind when we say things like this. This question often comes to mind, and that is, how do you know? How do you know who to follow? There are so many out there seeking a following. Who has it right? And I think Paul already answered it for us. In one of those verses I quoted to you, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Our ultimate leader is Christ. Anybody who would lead in the church and, and expect other believers to follow must first be following Christ. And so look at the head of the line. Who's up there? You see Jesus up there, then get in line and follow. But if you see somebody leading all by themselves out there, you might want to say, I went off at the next stop. You ought not to follow that one. So he answered that question already. So following a leader can be a bad thing. Following a leader can be a good thing. Third thought I would share with you this morning is this. Following leaders is a reality. Following leaders is a reality. Uh, they said, or he said here now, this I say, each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Christ, or I am of Cephas, or I am, or I am, you know, whatever. I read that wrong. Do you know what it says? They're all following. And isn't it interesting that in 21st century America, where we think we're so enlightened, we still want to follow leaders. Don't you think that's interesting? Democratic America, where we believe in, in all of 
the things, the trappings of democracy. We still want to follow leaders. We admire them, we desire them, we follow them. Presidential election periods such as we're going through right now are perfect examples of how much we want to follow leaders, even in this country. Why is that? It's because it's a natural thing with us. We have this innate desire, I believe, as, as people to follow leaders. I think it's true in nearly every area of life. It is true in the church. It is true in the family. It's certainly true in politics. It's true in business. Why in the world would anybody care what Donald Trump says? I don't understand why anybody would care. Because he's successful. He's a leader in business. And therefore, we want to follow him. It's true in sports. It's true in military campaigns. You name it, leadership is a trait we long for, in which when we see it, we follow. Following leaders is a reality. And finally, the fourth thought the fourth thought, which hopefully you'll see builds on all these other thoughts, and that is this. Following leaders is a convicting reality. Now, your eyes may be glazed over at some of these thoughts. I don't know. But let me assure you that this is the part I really want you to hear today. So if you're asleep, wake up. If I, if I bored you to tears so far, listen up. The good stuff's starting right now. This is the part I want you to hear. Following leaders is a convicting Reality. Now, we can make all kinds of applications from the things that we just said. Uh, we could make a, a couple of, of, of applications which are obvious. One would be be careful who you follow. Wouldn't that be one? I would think that would be an application we could make. One would be, uh, maybe the other way, would be don't resist leadership because it's, it's a good thing. I don't know. That might be one. And those would all be applications maybe for those who are following the leader, but I, I, I want in this last point to think about the application for those who are at the head of the line, those who are leading the followers. Think about this, because for them, this concept of following the leader is a convicting reality. And the application for them needs to be, be careful how you lead. Be careful how you lead. You know, I think pastors need to think of the ramifications, certainly. Next week, Brother Phil, we're going to install him. He's technically been our pastor emeritus for the last couple of weeks, but we'll officially install it next week. But we pastors need to think of the ramifications. It's a convicting reality when we think about it. Leadership team. In this church, we have a leadership team made up of, of our pastors and our deacons. Think of the ramifications to those who are in positions of leadership. We need to see the call to lead faithfully, to lead humbly, to lead with a servant heart, but most of all, just simply to lead. Because there are those who want to follow and those who are following. But it's Red Heart Sunday today, and you're probably wondering, you're probably sitting there asking yourself, what will we talk about this for in Red Heart Sunday? Because those of you who have been here for Red Heart Sunday the last few years know that usually we talk about family on Red Heart Sunday. And you're probably trying to figure out how this fits in with family. And I want to suggest to you that I think it really does. I think it really gets to the heart of that topic. Because leadership in the family is something that's very, very important for us to think about. God has established leadership in each home. And I think this text reminds us that the leaders in the home need to lead because some are following. Some are following. So let me finish today by talking to the dads among us. The rest of you can take a break. Let me talk to the dads among us for just a minute. Dad, do you know that you're the leader in your home? Do you know that? It doesn't matter if you accept that role or not. You're the leader in your home. 
have a book on my shelf at home. It's written by Bill Cosby. And he has a line in there. He says, you know what? I've seen the boss's job, and I don't want it. I'm not the boss of my home. Doesn't matter whether you want it or not. That might be funny for Bill Cosby to say, but dads, we're the leader of the home, whether we want it or not, because God has said so. It doesn't matter if we're any good at it or not. We're the leader, according to God. It doesn't matter whether everybody seems to be following our lead. We're the leader, according to God. You are the leader in your home, and whether it looks like it or not, whether they say so or not, I believe your family is leading. And so the application to us dads, lead. Lead. The Bible is so full of examples of fathers leading. I love the way God described Abraham. Can you imagine, guys, if God would describe you this way? Genesis chapter 18, he says, I know him. God is speaking. I know him. I know Abraham. He will command his children and his household after him. They shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. God said, I know Abraham. I know he'll lead his family. I know him. How about Manoah? I love the way God's, uh, the, the Bible speaks of Manoah. Do you even know who Manoah is? Manoah is one of those people who we really don't talk about a whole lot. He doesn't get a lot of press in the Bible, but he's important. Manoah was the father of Samson. The angel of the Lord came to Manoah one day and said, you're going to have a son and he's going to be a great judge in Israel and he's going to deliver the people and and I love what Manoah says in Judges chapter 13 and verse number 8. It says, Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O oh my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. So here it was. He knew it was his job to raise his son for God. And he prayed and asked God to help him with that particular thing. Manoah. How about David? David gave godly advice often to his sons. We certainly see it in Proverbs, so much so that, uh, that Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he said, I was my father's son. Of course, we know that was David, was his father. He said, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. How about the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 and verse 31? You remember the story of the Philippian jailer? Paul and Silas were imprisoned. They were singing praises at midnight when a great earthquake came and freed them all. And the Philippian jailer was terrified and was going to kill himself because the penalty for letting your prisoners escape was death. And so Paul said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't harm yourself, we're here. And he came and he fell down at their feet and he said, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? And in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 31, it says, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, Straight away. His testimony, I believe, was instrumental in reaching his entire family. The same thing with Cornelius. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 31. Cornelius made sure his entire family heard and responded to the gospel. Now therefore are we all here present before God, he said to Peter, to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. We could go on and on and on. There's all kinds of examples in the Bible of how men ought to lead their families. It's our job. We are the leader. That the family is following. Of course, the ultimate example is Joshua. Joshua. Who in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15 said, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what every one of us ought to say, man. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, it might seem strange to say this, being a pastor of a church, but a pastor of a church that has a Sunday school, but it's not the Sunday school's job to train your kids for God. 
It's yours, Dad. It's not my job as pastor to train your kids for God. I do have some responsibility there. It's yours. It's Dad's job. It's not the junior church worker's job. It's not the VBS worker's job to teach your kids about Christ. It's Dad's. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4 says, You fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Or as some translations render it, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our job. Our job. Do your kids know your faith, Dad? Do they see it? See it. Do they know that you pray? Do they see you reading your Bible? Have they ever seen you turn off the TV because some junk is on there that you know they ought not to be seeing? Have they ever seen that? Ever. Do they know that in this house we serve God? Do they know? Do they ever hear the truths of the Bible falling from your lips? Do they know without a shadow of a doubt that you are a man of God? Have they ever heard you say no to something, ask you why, and had you say to them, because I'm a believer and I live to a higher standard? Do they know? that about you. Christian author and speaker Dennis Rainey recounts a story I want to share with you. I'm just going to read it to you. He was visiting a clothing store with his 13-year-old daughter. said while he was waiting inside the store for his daughter to pick out a sweater, he noticed a life-size poster of a young man who was completely nude. When Rainey asked to speak to the store's manager, the following conversation ensued. He said, I shared with him that I had six children and was a good customer. And then I said, very kindly, you know this picture. I'm sorry, but it's just indecent. I thought I'd get agreement, he said. Instead, the salesman quipped, I beg to differ with you, sir, by whose standards? A little stunned by his response, I replied with measured firmness, by any standard of real morality, sir. If that picture is not indecent, then I'd like you to get in a similar pose to that guy in the picture. He looked at the picture. He looked at my daughter, then back at me. There was a moment of silence, full of anticipation. And then he shook his head and said, no, no. And I smiled and I said, you know, it's a good thing you didn't drop your pants because you could have been arrested for indecent exposure. And he replied, if you think that's bad, you should see our catalog. So I went over and opened the catalog. One photo showed four teenage girls in bed with a boy. I pushed the catalog back and said, I'd like you to take my name and phone number. I'd like someone from your corporate office to give me a call. To which he politely said, Sir, I can take your name and address, but they're not interested. They really don't care what you think. My response was kind but firm. I just want you to know I'm only one customer. I'm just a daddy of six kids, but I have a lot of friends, and I want you to know that wherever I go, I'm going to use this episode as an illustration of a company that doesn't care about the future of our young people, their morality, or the future of our nation. And then Dennis Rady concluded with this challenge. He said, one of the greatest lies of our day is that one man, one husband, or one dad can't make a difference. As a single man, you can protect the innocence of a single woman you are dating by being a noble man of character. As a husband and father, you are the warrior who has been charged with the duty of pushing back against the evil that seeks to prey on your wife, daughters, and sons. Stepping up to courageous manhood starts here. If you don't step up, who will? Do they know? Dads, do they know? Can you tell your kids how you were saved? Do they know your testimony? 
Can you tell them how they can be saved? Do you know the Romans road enough to share it with them? Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.13. Can you do that? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Can you share that with your kids? Can you explain that to them? God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you share that with them? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can they hear it from you? Do you know the ABCs of salvation? Can you? Have you shared these things with your kids? When your sons and daughters come smack up against the realities of living in this fallen world, do you know enough Bible to help them? You see, that's us. That's our job. That's our job. Can we help them choose the ways of God rather than the ways of this world? And now I have to say this morning, I, I have to humbly confess this morning that I do not stand before you as some example of this, as some shining example of this. I have two kids who are both sitting here in this room this morning, and they could both attest to the fact that they are saved and serving here today by God's grace in spite of my shortcomings. So don't get discouraged and think you have to be perfect at these things either, Dad. I'm an example of that. God will bless in spite, I think. God blesses our efforts and multiplies our stumbling tries if we will just step up and lead. Oh, how we need a generation of fathers who will step up and be Joshua's and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's up to us. Well, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. That text does speak of division, it does speak of sectarianism, it does speak of cliques and warns against them, but I think it also teaches us some wonderful truths about following a leader. And I think it reminds us that it can be a bad thing if done wrongly, it can be a, it can be a good thing if done rightly. I think it reminds us that following a leader is not only a reality, but a convicting reality. And in spite of the fact that it applies to all areas of leadership, I hope fathers are the ones who are listening this morning. One last story, and with this I close. Timothy Dalrymple was a gymnast, sophomore, sophomore year at Stanford University. He was the NCAA's top-ranked gymnast, and then he broke his neck, ended his career. He says that in God's providence, that particular disaster opened up all kinds of opportunities for him. It deepened his faith. He earned a Ph.D. All kinds of things took place. He said that while lying on his back looking up at the ceiling, he had plenty of time to think. He says that even as a child, he said, quote, I had a philosophical bent and I spent a lot of time thinking about all sorts of ultimate questions, especially the question of whether there is some sort of existence beyond death. I don't know which one I found more terrifying, that there would be some existence or that there would not. End quote. But then there was a time he was asked what helped him to grow in his faith. And then philosophical questions gave way to a personal relationship and an example. And here's what he said. He said, the example of my father, not only a pastor, but a genuinely loving, faithful, righteous person helped. I saw in his life something undeniably true that I couldn't. Explain away. So I believe the message this morning is this. Dads, we need to step up. We need to step up. Our kids need us. Our church needs us. Our country needs us. We need to step up. Rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. 
give heart and mind and soul and strength. Serve the King of Kings.